All right, so Hebrews chapter 6 is where we're at. We're continuing our trek through the book of Hebrews. Let's read our text. Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to do verses 1 through 12 this morning. And this, I'm really excited about this, so I hope you are as well. Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 12, and then we'll begin talking about them. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So there are three things that I think are going to help keep us on track in looking at our verses today. Those three things are going to be, number one, the author is writing to Christians. When we began looking at the book of Hebrews, this is a statement that I made clearly because it's important, especially for our text this morning, but for the whole book. And so for our text this morning, remember, number one, that the author is writing to Christians. Everything he says is to his audience who are Christians. Number two, you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. And number three, Genuine believers persevere because of what Christ has done and who He is. Genuine believers persevere because of what Christ has done and who He is. Now, let's look at each one in order, and then with that foundation, we'll move through our text afterwards. So um, be ready to write down some of those passages that we're going to go through, because we're going to go through a lot here in these three things before we start looking at our text specifically. So the first one, the author is writing to Christians. Look at verse 9 in our text. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. All right, so he's saying, you have salvation. Turn back to chapter 3, verse 1 in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 3, verse 1 Therefore, holy brothers, and again, this is holy brothers and sisters. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. In chapter 5, we looked at this last week, verses 12 and 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic <laughs> principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But he can only be a child if he's a child of God. So he is a child. 
He's a Christian. In chapter 10, verse 19 through 20, verses 19, 19 through 25, Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers or brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In chapter 12, verse 28, the next page, he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He speaks of maturity in our text in verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1, he speaks of maturity. And you can't become mature if you're not a child of God. You can only be mature if you have been a child. And he says that they are children. They are children of God. The author is writing to Christians. Our second point, you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. In chapter 9, verse 15. On the next page, of course. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Jesus makes sure that you will receive the promised eternal inheritance. Chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I'm going to read a few of these because they're with me from this book that I'll mention here in a minute. But John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. You can't lose your salvation. In John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my, the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Philippians 1, verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's the Apostle Paul talking. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul says, in verses 29 through 30, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, 
he also glorified. And then Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. There is not a category in Scripture of people who are saved and then lose that salvation. There is not a category in Scripture of people who are saved and then lose that salvation. There is a category in Scripture of people who are saved and yet experience temporal discipline. They experience discipline in moments of disobedience. Acts chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 11. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 11, you can. We had communion a couple of weeks ago. And this is one of the passages that we'll often use during communion. As Paul talks about it, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 32, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. God disciplined those people, even some to the point of killing them of them dying because of the way that they were acting. But it never says that they were not saved or that they lost their salvation. 1 John chapter 5 is another instance. So Acts 5, 1 Corinthians 11, what we read, and 1 John 5. We've already encountered this as we've been walking through the book of Hebrews in Numbers 14. Now, If you're still in Hebrews, look at chapter 3, and we're going to read again verses 6 through 14. We'll see that God's people oftentimes will experience discipline in the moment because of their disobedience. So Hebrews chapter 3, looking at verses 6 through 14. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You cannot lose your salvation. Remember, the author is writing to Christians, 
you can't lose your salvation. It's clear throughout the book of Hebrews, and it's clear throughout Scripture. You can't lose your salvation. Our third point, genuine believers persevere because of what Christ has done and who He is. This is why the author talks about Christ's priesthood before and after our passage. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, talk about priests. They talk about the high priest, and then they talk about Jesus being our great high priest, and Jesus being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's a priest forever. And then we get our section that we began last week in verse 11, where we have this warning that's continued on today, as we're looking at in chapter 6. And then look maybe just at your title in chapter 7, the priestly order of Melchizedek. And you begin to talk again about Jesus being a priest. Genuine believers persevere because Jesus is our great high priest and he is our priest forever. And we can trust him to hold us fast. Our assurance is based on the promises of God as fulfilled in Christ, which if you look maybe at a heading in verse 13 of chapter 6, the certainty of God's promises, as my Bible has in it, you look at God's promises. Our assurance is based on the promises of God as fulfilled in Christ. And we see this even immediately after our text. So when we look at our text this morning, verses 1 through 12, in context, in context of the book of Hebrews, immediately before and after, and then the whole book as well, and then also in the whole of the New Testament and in the Bible, we see that these three things are important to recognize. Now, I'm going to recommend to you this book. I've almost finished it. Um, I've been reading it the last couple days. Um, It's called Assured by Greg Gilbert. This is a fantastic book. If you have any reservation about your salvation, if you are not sure whether or not you truly are in Christ, if you fear that you've done something that has led you to no longer be right with God, this is a great book that will lead you back to the truths of Scripture and what are clear about how He holds us. If we are His We will remain His. He does not let us go from His grasp. If we are His children, we will always be His children. Our confidence is Christ and the forever, once and for all time, reconciliation that He bought for us through His sacrifice. And this is what this book talks about. One of the main points that he begins with is talking about the gospel. And then he starts talking about the promises of God which go right along with what we're seeing in chapter 6 as a whole in the book of Hebrews. And so I would encourage you to get a copy of that book. Again, I just read several of those verses about how you cannot lose your salvation from just a couple pages in that book. It's a great and wonderful resource. Now, in talking about perseverance... As our third point says, genuine believers persevere because of what Christ has done and who he is. It must be clearly stated that if someone rejects their faith, they were never truly saved in the first place. This is made clear in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 verse 19 says, 
They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And he's talking about those who deny Christ. There are a category of people who have never entered into an actual relationship with Christ and they're leaving Christ, they're denying Christ, though it seemed like they may have been Christians, if they deny Him, it shows that they were never really truly saved in the first place, that they were never really truly Christians to start off with. And so there is a category of people where it seems like they are saved, where it seems like they are a part of the body of Christ. But they went out from us because they were never really a part of us. They never really, truly had Christ as their Lord. This, though, is not what the author of our text is talking about in Hebrews. So let's look, after those three points, let's begin looking at our text and have those kind of rolling around in the back of our mind so that we can have a right understanding of what our text is saying to us and what the author has said to his audience this morning. Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 6 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So let's leave and go on. Let's not, not forget, not you know, leave Christ and then build on something else, right? But let's actually build on what the foundation is. Let's build on Christ. Let's build on that, but we can't stay at the level of the foundation. If we stay there, then we're missing out and we're never becoming mature. So don't forget, but move forward building on that foundation. And what's the foundation? Well, he lists six things here, and we're just going to go through them quickly. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again, here's the first one, a foundation of repentance from dead works, of repentance from dead works. That means you're moving away from sin. Repentance means you were walking in one direction, and usually it means you were walking in sin. You loved sin. You wanted to do what you wanted to do. What God had for you and for your life was not important. But then God, but then God showed his grace toward you in Christ. And you turned from that. You turned away from your sin. And what did you turn toward? That's our second thing. You turned toward faith toward God. So repentance from dead works and a faith toward God, a belief, a trust. You turned away from your sin and you turned toward God. It's not enough just to turn away from your sin because if you're turning away from your sin, you've got to turn to something else. But if you just turn to a different sin, you've not done anything good. And so as the author is representing these two things together, if we kind of pair each of the six things up, repentance is coupled with faith. If repentance is by itself, well, what have you repented then toward? What have you started moving toward? And that's why he includes faith, faith toward God. Otherwise, if you don't have faith, 
then you've really not understood what it means to know Christ. And so repentance and faith, these are past events. If you are a Christian, these are past things that have happened. And that's how he sort of describes them. The second couple things, verse 2, and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands. So these two things are sort of current practices. And notice that instruction about washings is plural. So it's not talking about baptism, but it's probably talking about some purification rites. That remember, when we said that these are Christians that he's writing to, these are Christians who have been Jews. Jewish Christians is who he's writing to. And so they have a practice of some sort of ritual purification. Is it necessary for us? No. Was it a practice for them currently in their time? Yes. Right? Okay, so we have instruction about washings and the laying on of hands. We still do that sometimes. You ever been a part of a church who, you know, go lay hands on someone to show solidarity with them, to show that we are with them? Right? Some of it's symbolic, but some of it, I mean, it really means something. Like, I, I care about you. I mean, I mean there's something to, to touching someone sometimes in a way, holding them on the shoulder and, man, can I pray for you? The laying on of hands. These, are, these were current practices. So we have our past initial events of repentance and faith. And then we have our current practices, instruction about washings and laying on of hands. And then we have the future events. As we continue on in verse 2, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. There is going to be a resurrection of all people, of all time. And there is going to be one of two destinations for everybody. There is either going to be heaven waiting for you or there is going to be hell. These are future realities the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Looking at verse 3. And this we will do if God permits. This we will do. Well, what is that? What, what will we do? Move toward maturity. That's what he said in verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. This we will do if God permits. If God permits, we are justified in the same way that we are sanctified by the will and work of God. How many of you have heard Philippians chapter 4, verse 13? I'm, I'm sure we've all heard it, right? I'm sure probably 90% of us could probably quote it. I mean, you know, might miss a word or two, but for the most part, you know, we get it right, right? Depending on the translation. All right, Philippians 4, 13. Many of us know it, and it makes us feel really good. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it makes us think of what I can do. It puts the emphasis on us oftentimes when we take that verse out of context. But Philippians 2.13 reminds us of what God is doing. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Anything I can do is through Christ anyways, but we have a tendency to focus on ourselves when we come across such verses like Philippians 4.13. But don't miss what he's already said in Philippians 2.13. We can only move toward maturity if God permits. And so the question then, why would God not permit us to move toward maturity? This is a scary thought. 
This is a scary thought. And I'm not sure sometimes just glancing at a verse like this that we realize how deep this idea is. This we will do if God permits. That means He might not permit us to move toward maturity. Why in the world would God not permit us to move toward maturity? Isn't that what Christ wants for us? Isn't that what God has for His children? To move toward maturity. Isn't that what all parents want for their children? Isn't that what all moms want for their kids to grow up so that she doesn't have to hold them all the time, so that they can start walking, so that they can start feeding themselves, so that they can take their own showers, right? I mean, anyone with me on that one? Yeah, like it's great whenever they learn how to do all these things on their own because then we don't have to do it all for them, right? We want them to move toward maturity. So why would God not permit his children to move toward maturity? He would not allow his children to move toward maturity in the case of decisive refusal to press on to maturity through obedience. If his children, if his people refuse, stubbornly and decisively refuse to move toward maturity, to want to move toward maturity, to obey, at a certain point, he is willing to say, fine, have it your way. Don't mature, and I'm not going to allow you to. You ever get like that as a parent? Fine. Do whatever you want to do. You know, you figure it out on your own. I mean, sometimes we think that. Usually we don't actually say it out loud. right? <laughs> Feed yourself then. You know, you don't want to eat this? All right. Good luck turning on the stove and not burning it. You know, good luck working the microwave. You know, usually we don't give them that when they're like five years old because then they might actually do something pretty bad. But it is Mother's Day, so you just, we have these thoughts, right? Right, mothers, you have those thoughts sometimes. I know that fathers do sometimes. (laughs) And so let's see what he talks about in verses four through six. Why would God not permit people to move toward maturity? says, for it is impossible, verse 4, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. God cares about his son so much that he's not going to allow his name to be defaced. He's not going to allow his name to be ridiculed because of his children's actions. God will not be shown to be a God in that way. He will not continue to promote someone who is not for him. And his children, unfortunately, can be, at a certain point, no longer for him. They can refuse to continue walking toward maturity. It is possible. And that's a scary thought that we have already seen a couple times in the book of Hebrews. It's a hard truth to understand and to swallow. Let's look through a few of these things. Look back at verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. They've once been enlightened. 
Notice how he describes the people that he's referring to. Again, he's talking about God's people. He is referencing God's people, those who have once been enlightened. They have seen, they have heard, they have understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have been enlightened. That's what it means to be enlightened. All of a sudden you have a new knowledge. Something's been revealed to you and you understand it. All of a sudden I know something that I didn't know before. That's enlightenment, right? I I think we can all get that. And he mentions it again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. They've been enlightened. They have, looking back at verse 4 in our text, who have tasted the heavenly gift. Now, this is not just a taste like I tasted one of those yummy um, muffins in the back, you know, and be like, oh, well, I don't like that flavor. I like the, the double chocolate chip one better. No, this isn't just, you know, I tried the blueberry and I didn't like it, and so I got another one and ate that whole thing of the other one. No, this is actually fully digested this truth. You have understood and received salvation, God's grace through faith in Christ. So don't be confused by the word taste because we think of, you know, you know, just kind of sipping on something and tasting it. No, this is a full consumption and understanding of it. He continues on in verse 4. Who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. I already read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. When you understood and received salvation, you were given the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, and He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He guarantees you. He is with you. You have shared in the Holy Spirit. This isn't just spiritual gifts. This is you having the Holy Spirit. He continues on in verse 5. Have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. You've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and of the powers of of the age to come. All of these descriptions, these five descriptions, read them and you have to to think, he's talking about those who have experienced Christ. It's hard to come to any other conclusion, just even in our immediate context. He's talking about those who have understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have received Christ, those who are saved. But then he talks about the negative, For it is impossible, going back to verse 4, it is impossible, and then read verse 6. For those who have done all those things and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. It's impossible for those who have fallen away. Verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3. We already read it. I'll read them again. Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 13. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So again, he's already mentioned this phrase, leading you to fall away. Not to fall away completely from grace, but to fall away from obedience and toward maturity. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance. 
It's impossible for those who have experienced all of these things and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. They have experienced repentance initially, but they refuse to continue walking in repentance. They refuse to continue walking in the life that God has for them. They refuse to continue pressing on toward maturity. And so, God no longer will permit them to fully experience the blessing, the growth, the usefulness in this life that He intends. And they're going to lose rewards eternally. But you have, in verse 7, those who do move toward maturity receive a blessing. Look at verse 7. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. Now notice he's talking about the same land here. This is not a different land that he talks about in verse 8 than what he talks about in verse 7. This is the same land. The rain has fallen on the same land. Some of the land produces a good crop and it's useful and it receives a blessing from God. But then some of the land, read verse 8, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Some of it receives God's blessings because it has continued to move in repentance towards obedience. But some of it bears thorns and thistles. I mentioned this last week, and we're going to read a few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, help clarify some of chapter 6, verse 8 in our passage in Hebrews. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Notice there, whenever he's talking about, in verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, what do you think is going to last through fire? Probably those things. What's not going to last through fire? Wood, hay, and straw. It's going to burn up pretty easily. What you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, there is a foundation of Jesus Christ that you have as a Christian, but what you build on it will determine whether or not at a certain point God may refuse to allow you to continue to move on toward maturity. He might not permit you to move on toward maturity because you have neglected Him to such an extent that he no longer allows you to even move toward maturity. That's a scary thought, and that's why the author of Hebrews makes it so explicitly clear that this is an important truth that he needs to, his people to know because they have not moved toward maturity. We looked at it last week at the end of chapter 5. 
They should be teachers by now, but they're still drinking milk. They're not eating solid food because they haven't matured. And the danger is they might be like other people in the Bible that have been expressed, especially clearly like in Numbers 14, the wilderness generation. They saw the works of God firsthand, and yet they refused to believe God. They were God's people, and God still forgave them, even after they had disobeyed and disobeyed and disobeyed. But they did not receive what was promised because they refused to continue to trust God. And so God says, I am not going to allow you to enter into what I have promised. He withheld blessing from them that they could have had. We often don't like to think of God in this way. That he would withhold blessings from his people. But what we see here clearly in chapter 6 is that he will withhold your opportunity to become mature in him at a certain point. And now I'm not standing up here saying this is what that certain point is. I mean, you can go back and read through the book of Numbers and see how the generation that moved through the wilderness for 40 years time after time after time, just in the first year or two, continued to grumble and complain against Moses and against Aaron because they didn't trust God. They said, Moses, we're thirsty. God, you've let us out here and God's not providing for us. And Moses is like, just trust that God will provide. Stop grumbling and complaining. And then they sent out spies to the land and, and the spies came back and they said, man, this looks awesome, but we can't do it because we're a bunch of grasshoppers compared to these giants that live in that land. We can't take this land. And Joshua and Caleb, they're like, we can do this because we have God. But those other 10 spies led all of the older generation to believe their false report, to not trust God. And so God said, there are going to be consequences. And they did not receive the promised blessings that God had for his people. Now, as we look at our final verses in our text, notice that again, how we started is, is where we're going to finish up. Chapter 6, verse 9. Though we speak in this way, though we have spoken harshly, though we have given you this warning clearly, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. We feel sure of better things. He doesn't say better things as a comparison between unsaved and saved. He says it in the sense of you've been granted salvation and what accompanies salvation is sanctification. What accompanies salvation is maturity, is growth in Christ. You have the foundation and what accompanies that foundation is building on that foundation. What's the point of just having an empty slab? You, you ever seen an empty slab? I mean, Jesus has parables about this. I mean, who doesn't consider the cost of what it's going to be to build a building? Who, who just lays a slab and leaves it like that? That doesn't do any good for anybody. I mean, what are you going to do with that? You need to, like a roof over your head. You, you need to build a, a, a fence around it. You need to have walls. You need to have a door. Like you've, you've got to have rooms inside. You've got to put in your plumbing. You've got to, you know, put in your AC. Like there's, there's something that's meant to be built on the foundation. You have to have the foundation 
And you have to have it be right. You have to have it be Christ. But it's meant to be built on. You're meant to grow in maturity and obedience toward Him. And He holds out hope. This author holds out hope for His people that they aren't going to end up like that wilderness generation. They're not going to end up like those people in 1 Corinthians 11. He is hopeful for them that they are going to move toward maturity. What accompanies salvation is sanctification. The things that belong to salvation, not just things that describe salvation, but more so things that are inherently tied to evidences of new life in Christ. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruit that you produce. It's fruit that the Spirit produces in you. This is God working in you. This is Christ giving you strength. This is Christ giving you strength. Not, I can do all things because look at me, look at how wonderful I am, but it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And notice, what is Christ giving you strength to do? Look at verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. What is Christ giving you the strength to do? It's there in verse 10 for what can be described by this audience. It's work and love and service toward God's people. God cares about His people, and He cares about them to send people to minister to His people. We're meant to minister toward one another. We're meant to build up a community together so that we can encourage each other day by day, so that we can pray with one another, so that we can lift each other up when we've fallen down, so that we can bring each other down when we become proud, so that we can walk alongside one another, side by side, hand in hand, joining forces, because this life is hard, because we are tempted to sin every single moment of our lives. We are tempted to trust in ourselves every single day. And we need the encouragement of God's people to point us back on the right path. We have His Word and we have His people to do that. That's why we exist as a church to do that with one another. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. You serve God by serving His people. In verse 11, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God's work is evidenced by an earnestness to press on to maturity through living by faith in Christ and so inheriting the promises of God. There are those who don't inherit the promises of God and yet are still God's children. There is no doubt that God has always been faithful and will remain faithful to His promises. We will continue to look at this very thing in the second half of chapter 6 next week. There is no doubt that God has always been faithful and will remain faithful to His promises. So, will you, in light of that, knowing that He is faithful, that He cares about His children, that He wants us, 
He desires for us to move toward maturity so much that He's willing to give us warnings about when we go astray so far that He says, hold on, come back to me. Look again at what you're missing. Look at what you haven't been doing. Look to me. Stop walking in your own way. Come back. He's that father who cares, who doesn't just give up on his children. But time and time again, he is faithful. He is faithful. God is faithful. So will you, through faith and patience, trust Christ to bring you to maturity in him? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. God, these are some deep and some difficult truths that we've looked at this morning, and, and we've taken a while to do it. God, would you use all of what has been communicated this morning through your word to bring us into a realization of where we are at, an honest introspection, an honest look and examination, not only in us looking at our own lives, but us helping others out and looking at their lives with them to see whether or not we even are in the faith in the first place. And if we are, whether or not we're walking by faith, God, help us to be these people to one another. We thank you for your word and the encouragement that it gives us, for the assurance that we can have in knowing that you are faithful and that you never let us go, that when we are your children, you care for us and that we will always be your children. God, help us to rest in those truths, but don't let us be complacent. Don't let us be fine drinking milk. Help us to move on toward maturity. Give us a desire to grow in you. God, you're the one who gives us these things, so give it to us. Work in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.